0: I'd like to welcome everybody here to the Bellingham campus. I also want to give a special welcome to those of us, or those of you that are joining us in Ferndale. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here, and we are so glad that you've joined us for the second part of our series called Lies. I've been watching a spider spin a web for several months outside of my house. The spider is called an Arrhenius diadematus. Can I get a picture? Just so I can be able to see that up there. It's actually called the cross spider because it actually has a little tiny cross on its back. I'm not going to read into spiritual stuff. It's just a spider outside of my house, okay? I actually know about that spider because we have an arachnologist in our church who does love spiders. And after receiving her email this week, I have created in my heart a small place for spiders, but nobody at Christ the King is ever going to make me love a cat, so don't even try, all right? The work of the spider is actually quite beautiful. This is a picture of a web. It's beautiful if you're a person. If you're a fruit fly, that thing of beauty is actually completely overwhelming. The other day, I watched a fruit fly get attached to this spider's web. And I watched it struggle and struggle and struggle until it finally just gave up and stopped struggling. This whole week has been a struggle. I did not know, in fact, I was actually considering pulling the message that we're going to talk about, because I've actually got two messages, and I wasn't sure which one God wanted us to go with. It's been a struggle all week long. I was going to preach. The original plan was I was going to preach on the lie God grades on a curve, and one of these days, we're, we're going to look at that lie because it's toxic, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, but all week long, same thing over and over and over again surrounded by people who are just struggling with life, completely overwhelmed, and I'm meeting with them, and I'm praying with them, and I'm sharing Scripture with them, and I'm hugging them and doing everything I can to try and help. And in my conversations with them, I kept hearing these recurring themes that just kept showing up over and over and over again. And finally, it's like, God, are you trying to tell me something? Are we supposed to talk about this? Are we supposed to put the old plan aside and go with a different angle? We're going to come back to God grades on a curve, that's a lie, by the way, in a couple of weeks. But for tonight, for this moment, for this day, we're going to start with a very common feeling. It goes like this, if I'm struggling, I must be doing something wrong. That's a very common feeling. Now the truth is, some of you are actually struggling because you are doing something wrong. I mean, let's just be straight, right? I mean, you're struggling with a hangover because you went out last night and did something that was contrary to God's word, and now you're wondering, I don't know why I'm struggling so bad. Duh, right? Okay. Some of you are struggling with sexual issues because you are doing something wrong. You say you want to be delivered from your addiction, but you don't want to stop looking at porn. Some of you are struggling in your relationship. And, and the way the struggle works out is you treat your wife or your husband like dirt, and you probably need to stop that so that struggle ceases so you can actually do what God has called you to do inside of that relationship. But that type of struggle is not our focus for this weekend. Now this weekend, I want to talk to those of you who are doing everything you know to do to make God-honoring decisions, and you're still struggling. You're struggling with your life. You're struggling with unemployment. You're struggling with a miscarriage. You're struggling with the fact that no matter how hard you pray, God doesn't seem to answer that prayer. Some of you who are not struggling right now are going to be tempted to think that this doesn't apply to you. Let me tell you something it does apply to you because no matter where you are in your life right now, you've either been in a spiritual valley. You're in a spiritual valley, or you're on your way to a spiritual valley at some point in the future. When people are struggling, Christians have two tidy little bumper sticker answers that they like to apply to the bullet holes in people's souls. You may have heard some of these at one point or another. You may have said some of these at one point or another. And they sound really, really good on coffee cups and t-shirts, but they leave a sour taste in your mouth when your life is crumbling around your ears. Here's a couple of typical answers that I hear from Christians. In fact, I heard these all last week. First one goes like this. You just need to have more faith. I mean, how do you do that, right? I've always wondered how you do that. How do you have more faith? I mean, is it like... (laughs) What are you doing? Having more faith... Right? And that's kind of what we say to people, right? Come on, man. Pick yourself up. Get back in the game. Work harder. Don't slow down. You need to speed up. I mean, God helps those who help themselves. So you need to start helping yourself right now. Come on, get with it. Expand your faith. Pray a little more. Read your Bible. Come on, just a little more faith. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. The person's like, what? Here's the second one. Now, before I say the second one, I want everybody just. You're going to need to stay with me through this whole thing. Because if you don't stay with me through the whole thing tonight, you're going to go home thinking I'm a heretic, and you're going to write me a very nasty email at some point during this week, and I'm going to have to write back to you and say, did you listen to the rest of the message? You're going to have to stay with me, all right? Because here's the second bumper sticker answer that I hear. It goes like this. God will never give you more than you can handle. You know, just hold on to that one for a second. I put a blank in front of it. Because at some point during the evening, during the morning, if you're in Ferndale, you might have to write in the words, the lie, right there. Okay? Relax. Take a deep breath. Don't freak out on me right now. I want to tread very carefully here so that I don't freak everybody out. So I want to encourage you to stick with me till we're done. Because I want you to know something about that statement God will never give you more than you can handle. Here's something that's going to make some of you go, what? It's this. You can't find that in your Bible. Okay? You can't find it in your Bible because it's not in your Bible. Now, some of you are going, but but, but I've said that. People have said that to me. What's What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I talked with a lady from our church this week who has suffered intensely through most of her life. And I said, what do you think when people say to you, in light of your suffering, God will never give you more than you can handle? She's like in her 90s. This was her response. I'd like to hear how Job would answer that question. I'd like to hear how Paul would answer that particular statement. Okay, now, just relax. Let me tell you where people get it from. Okay? People get it from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse verse 13, that particular teaching. But I've got to ask the question, is that really what the Bible says? Because here's how the verse goes. It goes like this. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I want you to notice something. This verse is about temptation. It's not about the trials of life. It says that when you're tempted, God will not allow more temptation to come against you that you can handle and that He will always provide you a way of escape. It doesn't say no matter how much we want it to. It doesn't say that God won't give you more than you can handle. Can I make an admission? Every day for me, I can't handle it. I can't handle anything. I mean, I, I can't, it just seems overwhelming, this whole thing about, about talking to people about Jesus and, and, and walking through the future. And, and, and I mean, don't even take me to Revelation. I mean, it's just like, it's just more than you can possibly handle. I want us to know something. In my own strength, I can handle nothing. I've got nothing beyond that. Here's a more biblical understanding of what people are trying to say. When they say to you, God won't give you more than you can handle. Here's the truth. It goes like this. God may give you. God may give us more than we can handle. Here it comes. But it's never more than He can handle. Do we understand that? God may give us more than we can handle, but it's never more than He can handle. In fact, for some of you, the most godly outcome of this message would be for you to put your hand up and say, God, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I can't handle it. So I'm going to stop trying to deal with it in my strength. I'm going to stop boasting about how I can handle everything, how I'm the good son, how everything just seems to work for me. I'm going to stop talking about that. I'm going to exchange that, that lie for the truth that, that I don't have any strength other than God's strength. So instead of bragging about me, maybe I need to start bragging about him. What do you think? I want you to notice something in your Bible. This is what Paul has to say about that subtle little lie. Now, for those of you who've ever said it to somebody before, just relax, okay? I've said it. I've said it often. The same guy who wrote those words about temptation, he wrote this. And this is the answer to the question, did the Apostle Paul ever have more than he could handle? Let me read his words, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. It goes like this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in Asia. We were under great pressure. The word means extreme pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Listen to this. But this happened... That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I love the end of that verse. Paul saying he had more than he could handle. He was under great pressure. He actually thought he was going to die. He moved beyond anger. He was beyond confusion. He was at the point of outright despair. And just when he thought he was going to break, what did he say? He said this. This happened. So that we'd stop relying on ourselves and instead start relying on the God we serve who actually can raise dead people. Some of you are being pounded by unemployment. I've talked with you. Some of you are being pounded by cancer and you're scared and you don't know what to do. Some of you are being pounded by the break of a a relationship. Some of you are being pounded by addictions. And instead of getting some nice, tidy church answers that last about six minutes out the front door, I mean, let's just be honest about how long those bumper stickers last, instead of getting those nice, tidy answers, you came because you needed to hear Paul say that he was done but even in being done, he refused to rely on himself and instead turned to Jesus, who still has the power to raise the dead. I'll tell you what, that is good news if you're struggling tonight. That is good news if you're struggling. I want to take the rest of our time to show you what happens to a king when he gets overwhelmed. There's an amazing story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's one of my favorite in all of Scripture story of a king by the name of Jehoshaphat, and he has a problem on his hands. It's a big problem, and we're going to walk through it together. The Bible says this is his problem. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Muonites and some Linnonites, some Bellinghamites, and two guys from Sumas, came, <laughs> came to make a war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. Jehoshaphat's got a big problem. If you look at geography, when he finds out that this army's coming against him, they're already in his backyard. They're already there. They didn't announce themselves, they just showed up. Has anybody else ever noticed that problems don't announce themselves ahead of time? I mean, you you never ever have anything, it never knocks on your door and goes, Yoo-hoo! Just so you know, you're going to have a meltdown a week from Wednesday. Just want you to know so you can explain why it is you showed up at work wearing your underwear on the outside of your pants, right? Okay? (laughs) Just wanted you to know, right? Problems just show up. Cancer doesn't call ahead. Lengthy employment doesn't pre-register. Sickness doesn't make a reservation in your life for two months from now. It doesn't work that way. Problem for Jehoshaphat just shows up, and it's huge. He has more than he can handle, and he has more than he can handle right now. What do we need to learn about struggling from this guy? I believe he teaches us what we're supposed to do when we're overwhelmed. Let's, ask, let's answer that question. What do we do when we're overwhelmed? Well, it starts like this. you got to ask for help. you got to ask for help. The Bible says in verse 3, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it goes like this. Alarmed... Jehoshaphat, that makes me laugh, alarmed, you think, right? Three armies in your backyard, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Let's stop there for a second. When the enemy's already in your backyard, that's a fast fast that needs to happen right there. It's like, quick, we're skipping lunch, we're praying, because we've got a war right in our hands, right? He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Notice this. Does he go to friends? No. Does he name a committee? No. Does he take a survey about how people feel about the potential for being completely overrun by this warmongering horde that has arrived on the beaches? No. He goes to God first. He inquires of God first. What do you want me to do with this problem? He goes to God, and everybody sees what he's doing, and they come to the conclusion, well, if the king's going to God, we should probably go to God too. I'm trying to learn this right now. When I have a problem, you know what I do first? I try to solve it. I'm trying to unlearn that behavior because it's not biblical. When I've got a problem, the first thing I should do is, God, what do you want me to do about this? Because I want to respond your way, not in my strength, but in yours. If you're struggling, my question is, have you gone to God repeatedly with passion, with the purpose to ask Him, what do you want me to do in this pain? At the end of the prayer, we learn a key principle. It goes like this. The principle is we need to be honest and get your eyes on Jesus. Listen to what the king says at the end of his prayer. It goes like this. He's talking to God. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What do we normally do when we're struggling? I don't know about you, but I put on my brave face. I'm okay. You're okay. People can't be freaking out that the pastor's falling apart at the seam, so I got to be strong, right? So I put on my nice countenance. I'm good. I say, God bless you to a lot of people. I touch them, I pray, sprinkle a little clergy dust over the top, right? Everybody feels better with that, right? That's what we do. We just keep pulling up our bootstraps. And I'll tell you what, there's a time when you need to pull up your bootstraps and just plain get to work. But most of us, we just get caught in that good soldier thing. Have you ever had an honest moment with God in the midst of the pain? Have you ever told God, I have no power, no power to attack this stack of unpaid bills. I don't even know where to start. Have you ever said to God, I have no power to break this addiction. I've been dealing with this for 20 years. I need you to do it. I need you to help me. I have no power to change the course of my life, but, but I am making a decision that in the midst of the pain, I'm going to put my eyes on you. I'm going to tell you something. Putting your eyes on Jesus, you are not going to find that in any self-help book on any shelf in this county or in this nation because I need to tell you something about self Self can't help anybody because self is an idiot. (laughs) Jehoshaphat gets honest and then a prophet steps up and takes him to his next learning moment. It goes like this. When we're overwhelmed, we need to hear God's word and fight wisely. Prophet speaking, it says this, verses 15 through 17. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle's not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the path of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Two things we have to notice here. Number one, you're going to have to fight. You don't get to be passive, you don't get to abdicate, you don't get to hope that somebody else sweeps in and saves the day, you're gonna have to go out and fight. Number two is this, the battle's not yours, it belongs to God. The custody battle you're in right now, that is not your fight, that's God's fight. The cancer battle you're in right now, that is not your fight, that's God's fight. In the middle of the body, I have learned this. When you are fighting under being overwhelmed, I've learned this to be true. God can either be your greatest ally or your most convenient enemy, and you get to choose. Let's get this straight. We have to be careful how we look at this because people often assign the result of living in a very broken world to the wrong source. When you're struggling, it's easy to pin the the condition of this lost world on the God who created the world but did not sponsor evil. Let me say it as plainly as I can. Cancer doesn't come from Jesus. Evil doesn't come from Jesus. In fact, let me say it as boldly as I can. When it comes to evil, Jesus is not the cause of it, but he's most certainly the answer to it. Amen? That's the answer. Here's a tough one. When we're overwhelmed, we need to worship in the pain. Two different times in the middle of the struggle, the king worships. Verse 18 says this. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. When you are overwhelmed and you think you're going to snap, you need to sing. You need to sing loudly. I'm not immune to this stuff. I had a terrible week. It was awful. Wednesday, I'm like, I'm going to go drive a bread truck somewhere. Got to be easier, right? Who doesn't like the bread truck guy, right? <laughs> nice uniform, cute little panel van, listen to radio all day long. Who doesn't smile when the bread guy shows up, right? I'm thinking I'm going to be a bread guy, right? I'm up to the battle, or up to my eyeballs in the battle this week, and I find myself not in a good spot. It is not a, you're not in a good spot when you're singing Jesus Loves Me at people. Jesus loves me, this I know, because your Bible tells you so. I mean, that is not good. Not a good headspace to be in at all, okay? I started with Jesus loves me. And it was weird because it rolled into great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto everyone else but me, right? To me. Which rolled into another one. There's only one who can heal us. There's only one who forgives us. There's only one who can save us. Jesus, you're the one. I had to practice this this week. I had to sing when the weight was so heavy, I didn't know if I could take another step. Been there? Second time it happens. Verse 21 goes like this. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. You see the wisdom of the king? They're going into the battle. What does he do? He gets the worship team up front. You sing. I don't care if you don't like the music or not. You sing. You praise God with your mouth and with your mind and with your heart and with your body in the midst of the overwhelming stuff. That's what God calls us to do. I'll tell you this. I know you can praise Him when it's good. The question is this. Can you praise Him when it's bad? Can you lift His name when it hurts Can you worship God when you're crying every other word? That's worship. Here's what happens next. Here's what happens when the king remembers who's fighting for him, and this is what happens when we remember who fights for you. Verse 22 says this, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Do you notice that? God sets ambushes for the enemy that's coming against this nation. God knew the strategy and the location of the enemy before they were able to unleash the war against Israel. And if God knows exactly where the Moabites were and where the Ammonites were, let me ask you a question, Christ the king. If he knew what the enemy was doing there, don't you think he knows the strategy of the enemy who's battling and lying to you? Don't you think God already knows the lies you're hearing, the lies like you're never going to beat this disease? You're never going to find a job. You're going to be alone. You're beyond hope. Just give up. Walk away. God doesn't care. He's mean. He's the reason for your pain. Just walk away. Jesus knows the lies. And as we learned last week, He's the God who can provide. He's the God who can save. He's the God who can restore. Our God is a God who doesn't run from storms. He walks on water in the middle of them. Amen? What was the reward for struggling well? Last little piece in your outline. The reward for struggling well for Jehoshaphat was this, peace before, during, And after the struggle, verse 30 says this, And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. When Laurel was diagnosed with her eye disease, I took her to see Elizabeth Sutherland. Elizabeth Sutherland lived to be 106 years old. She prayed for me, as far as I know, every day of my life. I miss her prayers. When I heard about Laurel's eye disease, I wanted her to pray for Laurel, so I took her to see Elizabeth. I will never forget what this wise old woman said to my wife after Laurel told her that she was going to go blind. Elizabeth took her by the hands. I never forget these shriveled old hands holding on to my wife's, and she said this. God must think an awful lot of you to allow you to carry this weight. I had never thought of that before. Some of you are carrying a lot of weight. I see you struggle every week. I hope that when you walk out of here, you've got some hope. A friend of mine, a couple weeks ago, noticed that I was carrying a lot on my shoulders. It's like a backpack. So he showed up at one of our times together with a backpack full of rocks. He took out a marker, laid them out on the table, and said, I want you to label every single one of them. All your birds, you just write them out. And I covered some rocks a couple of times. When we were done, I thought, well, that was a nice exercise, and I started putting the rocks back in the bag. Not so fast. (laughs) Pastor, I want you to separate them into two piles. I want you to separate them into your pile and God's pile. Okay. So I started grabbing rocks. And I grabbed this one. Work. We did a series about work. Sweat equity. I think we should work. I think we all should work. I think it's good for us when we do work. So I grabbed that one. I said, "I believe God's given me a responsibility to work and provide for my family. That's what I'm doing, the best I can." This rock belongs to me," he said. "Good call." So stuck it in the bag. Grabbed another one. He said, "Forgiven on it." He says, "Can you forgive anybody in your own strength?" I said. In my own strength, I'm angry and bitter. Can you forgive anybody's sins, Grant? Nope. Who's that rock belong to? That'd be a Jesus rock. That one you can put in the bag. Or that one you can leave on the table, because it's not yours to take home. I struggled with this one. But I work there, and I love them. They're my friends, my brothers, and my sisters. I see them hurt. I want to help. This is my rock. According to my Bible, it says that God will build His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't see your name in that sentence anywhere. Had to stay on the table. By the time we were done, I was amazed how few rocks were mine to carry. And you may want to do the same thing. So I've been praying all week what to do with the end of this. My heart's just been broken watching people hurt, people losing businesses. Losing children. Trying to stay clean and sober. And I read this story of Jehoshaphat. There's this beautiful little verse in there It says this. It says, all the men of Judah and their wives and their children and their little ones stood up before the Lord. If you're hurting tonight, I'm going to invite you to do something in a couple minutes. No one's going to judge you. But in a moment, if you're completely overwhelmed, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Don't do it yet. I'm going to ask you to stand up because we're going to have a little family meeting. We're going to do what Jehoshaphat did. We're actually going to worship. By praying and asking for help, because maybe you're like Jehoshaphat and you just say, "I got no power, and I don't have a clue what to do. I've done everything I know to do. I listed the house, I put for sale signs in my car, I, I, I've handed my kid over. I don't know where they are. I've done I've done everything I can. Maybe you need the family to help a little tonight, because if you're here and you're struggling." You are not alone. I know you're not. I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. If you're overwhelmed, I'm going to ask you to stand. And then I'm going to ask some other members of the family come gather around you, put a hand on your shoulder. We're going to pray. Jehoshaphat prayed and it worked. And we're going to pray, not that you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just work a little harder. We're going to pray that you have the wisdom to understand that God may have given you more than you can handle, but it is never more than he can handle. I'll go first. You're overwhelmed. Stand up. be embarrassed, just stand up. If you're at the Ferndale campus, stand up. If this is family, this should be safe. So I don't care if you're here in Bellingham or you're 12 miles up the road. You stand up. Christ the King, here's the deal. Everyone's standing around you. It's your family. and They should never have to stand alone. So I'm going to ask you, God tells you right now, I want you to stand up to and I want you to go stand near them. And I want you to put a hand on their shoulder. I just want you to stand with them. You don't have to say anything. You're just going to stand with them. Go stand with them. Don't leave them alone. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But right now in Ferndale, Pastor Rich is going to be standing by the screen with a microphone in his hand. He's gonna pray in Ferndale, okay? So we're gonna say goodbye to Ferndale, and we're gonna let we're gonna let Rich pray over you, and I'm gonna pray here. God bless you guys. You should not be by yourself. If you are standing and no one's with you, would you stick your hand up because nobody's gonna stand alone tonight, okay? We good? We got somebody with everybody? Awesome. Let's pray. Author and perfecter of our faith. We took our sin and our hurt and our pain on His shoulders. And God, we acknowledge there are moments in our life where we've just completely overwhelmed. God, thank you that you're never overwhelmed, that you are strong all you want is for us to turn to you and rest in you pray to you and reach to you. So God, over my brothers and sisters tonight, I pray the words of Scripture. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Jesus I pray that you would allow us fast-forward ourselves way into eternity. God, allow us to look back on this moment as a moment when we weren't alone, when we had a little more faith because somebody cared. We waved the white flag, said, I can't handle this, but I know God can. So I give you my heart, my pain, angst and my worry, and I ask for your peace. Allow me to rest easy with my friend, my Savior, and my Lord, Jesus Christ. So God, would you help and hold, intervene and give perspective, allow us to worship. Even We will give you all of the praise and all of the glory even when we're overwhelmed. We pray this in your good name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I was having a milkshake early this week, and a fruit fly landed in my milkshake. (laughs) So I took my finger and I flicked him. Someday when we're home with Jesus. All of this makes sense. My prayer is that you'll look back on this moment when Jesus took you by the hand and he flicked what seems like a really big deal right now. And he flicked it into the world of light and momentary. That would be a miracle. That's what we need. Thanks for letting me change gears. Thanks for letting me struggle. I sent it out in the Midweek Connection. I don't know what I'm supposed to preach about. You know what I loved was the number of emails I got back that said, we'll pray for you. Thank you. My prayer is that you will leave encouraged. Holding on to the word and singing all the way into the battle until next week. I think we better pray one more time. God, thank you for moments when we learn and when we hurt, when we're filled with joy. And God, teach us how to be thankful for the pain too pray for everyone carrying a burden tonight. I pray that they would leave it at the foot of the cross in the hands of a God who is never overwhelmed. Would you walk with us and give us the courage to do that this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.